Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Michael Epstein, the co-founder of Postpilot, a platform that allows you to send personalized postcards automatically at scale as easily as you'd create an email campaign. On this episode, we discuss the direct mail advertising industry, his technology that creates handwritten cards for clients, how Postpilot has performed since we last spoke to him a year ago, and much more. Here's our interview now. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. Very happy to have you. So look, we actually interviewed you. I didn't personally, but the old podcast host Connor did. And this interview is going to be a little different than what we usually do. Okay. So might not be a straightforward interview style. We'll bob and weave a little bit. We'll do a little check-in on you since our team last spoke with you. But to those who don't know, could you tell us a little bit about Postpilot? Think of Postpilot like Clavio for direct mail. Similar to how brands would run an email program, you can segment your customers or your prospects like you would in an email account and then send them uh, individually personalized direct mail pieces, postcards, or the real power is in creating automated flows and triggers. So think like your core email automations, a win back campaign, a VIP campaign, a second purchase campaign, abandoned cart campaign. Anytime a new user or prospect enters that segment, you can fire off again an individually personalized card to that person, try and get them to convert. And it helps you reach that large portion of folks that either aren't subscribed to your list or aren't engaging with with your email or digital channels. That's great. And do you get the mail addresses primarily through people who have already given you that? Or, or are you buying you know bulk lists? How are you accessing these, these direct mail addresses? Yeah, good question. So if they purchased from you before, we're natively integrated with Shopify, Klaviyo, and a bunch of your e-com tech stack. So if they bought from you before, we can easily pull their address information from your Shopify customer database. And if they haven't bought from you before and say they only have your email address, we actually have technology that can match that email address to a postal address essentially in real time and follow up with that prospect via direct mail, even if they've never purchased from you before. Well, that's great. I bet that's very useful technology. So what are some of the best practices for direct mail advertising? I know it's kind of counterintuitive to what we talk about on the show often, but I think there's a lot of value in out-of-home advertising, direct mail advertising, stuff that is a little more tangible. Yeah, absolutely. So we recommend starting with lower in the funnel and working your way up. Traditionally, a lot of direct mail sort of traditional providers have said, oh, just batch and blast to everybody in a zip code or everybody in a, with this household income or whatever those sort of superficial demographics are. But we really recommend starting bottom up. So think about your existing customers who haven't engaged with your digital channels, haven't taken the action that you want them to take, such as making a second purchase or a third purchase within the expected timeframe. Start there, develop a baseline sort of performance and metrics around how your customers respond to this channel, and then start working your way up the funnel. So next level up will be like what we just talked about. We call it mail match, which is taking an email prospect and finding a postal address for that person. This is a warm prospect, somebody that's engaged with your brand, just hasn't pulled the trigger yet. They're still this fence sitter. How do you get them to convert? You nudge them with a postcard if they haven't responded to your other channels. 
And then you keep working your way up. We have new technology also called Site Match, which takes anonymous website visitors, matches them to a physical address, and you can retarget them to uh, with a postcard. So next level up, a bit colder of an audience, but still warm because they've at least engaged with your brand in some way by visiting your site. And then once you've you continue to sort of prove out that your customers and prospects are responsive and you're getting good results, then you can work up to like lookalike audiences and cold prospecting, where we'll take your first party data, create lookalike model for against that data, and then we can find other people like U.S. consumers from these large consumer address databases that we have access to that are good fits and match your ideal customer profile based on thousands of different attributes like do they are they healthy lifestyle do they buy meat jerky products do they buy charmin do they like do all these different things do they drive a acura whatever it is and then we can find other prospects that look like them and target them with with a postcard as well that's cool so you can actually find people based on their consumption habits essentially their their buying habits yeah Exactly. And again, we look at thousands of different attributes and go really beyond just those superficial attributes and, and look for many, many different data points uh, and understand what how that relates to your ideal customer profile so we can find more folks like that. And I don't think you're alone in finding that below the surface iceberg level material in terms of you know your target audience or customers' desires, needs, fears, not just you know their income or their gender or whatever, you know, all all that kind of more surface level stuff. I think that's extremely interesting. So how do you determine, let's say you bring on a client who's using your service. How do you determine your marketing contribution for a client with something that is physical as opposed to digital? In terms of like performance tracking and attribution? Yeah, sure. So because we're natively integrated with Shopify, we know if that customer or prospect received a card and then we know if they go on to make a subsequent purchase over the next few weeks, we can attribute that back to the campaign that they received in real time. We do, we know that. We can also show you if they used a coupon code that was printed on the card and we can attribute that back to the campaign in real time. We put this all in a dashboard for you. So really easy. That sounds extremely simple, a lot simpler than I was making it. So over the past year, since we last talked to you, have you seen, I know it's kind of a short time frame, but have you seen an increase in the success of direct mail advertising as opposed to digital? Oh my gosh. It's even since last year. I mean, I think we've grown 10x since we probably last talked and it's just been, it's been a wild ride. I think brands are really continuing to feel the need to one, diversify their channels they were too dependent on Facebook, for example. And that just with iOS, that really obviously impacted people's ability to track and target and get the same sort of performance out of that channel. And all, and again, just it's just a risk to, to focus all of your efforts in, in one channel and not have multiple channels for acquisition. The other thing is brands start to sort of tap out at a certain point on acquisition channels like Facebook. Maybe they've reached some level of scale, but they're starting to hit a diminishing level of return where the next incremental dollar they they add to Facebook isn't returning at the same sort of ROAS as they were they were getting before. So for one, that definitely led to a lot of demand and a lot of interest in what we're doing. And I think also people just generally like the idea of having a more physical, tangible touch point with their customers. Our campaigns perform really well. They drive a lot of incremental ROAS, which we can, you know, we report on for you. 
both with existing customers and new prospects or, or new customers. But aside from the, the great performance that brands consistently get with, with the channel and with our platform, they just like the idea of having this, this tangible touch point with their customers that makes them much more memorable, keeps them top of mind. It's not this fleeting ad that they got in an email that was forgotten about in an instant or saw you know, a, a banner ad online that they scrolled through. So there's, there's definitely something to be said for adding this as another touch point too. And, and we see it also bleeds into the performance of other channels. So when you layer direct mail on as another channel, another touch point, it tends to drive incremental improvement across some of your other marketing channels. So your Facebook ROAS improves, your email conversion rates improve because it's just it's another touch point that helps nudge people towards conversion. So what I'm hearing you say, Michael, is that it works best in tandem with digital, not um, as an adversary too. Yeah, no, we would we would absolutely never suggest you shut off your digital channels or replace your digital channels. It's a, it's a supplemental channel that can be used to one reach the folks that you're not able to reach through digital alone. Like a lot of people, you're not going to necessarily hit with a Facebook ad or a YouTube ad. If you look at your email open rates, typically for average e-com open rate is like 20-25%. And that's of people that are still even subscribed. That leaves 75% plus of that rich audience. People that are actively, you know, have engaged with your brand in the past, but are not responding or engaging or even seeing your, your email campaigns. That's just a lot of money that you're leaving on the table. And this is a very easy and effective way to, to take advantage of that. If a company is trying to cast a wide net in digital advertising, they, they need to pick usually between email, SMS, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you know, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of times you can't really do all of it or, or else you're not really doing enough research on who your audience is, I, I think. Compared to direct mail, there's only one delivery method. Right. I mean, I think that's a, a huge advantage with the increase in digital advertising platforms and methods. Is that singular, we'll call it platform or delivery method for direct mail an advantage for something like Postpilot? Yeah, I definitely think so. And and we see it in the data too. In one, we all know that there's there's digital overload kind of going on. People are just bombarded with ads online and emails and everything else, and they tend to just tune them out. And so this is just a channel that people tend to engage with a lot more. Again, it's a lot more memorable because it's more unique. It's something that they're not getting bombarded with all the time. And second, it's not subject to the same sort of competitive dynamics that digital ads are. There's no... You want to advertise on the week leading up to Black Friday, you're going to pay through the nose to, to do that because competition drives up cost. We're heading towards Mother's Day right now. So that's in the, these, these holiday peak periods tend to spike costs because everyone's trying to advertise around that. Postcards, like the price is fixed. It literally takes an act of Congress to change the price of postage. So it's a really effective way also to reach a lot of folks around these competitive, particularly around some of these competitive seasonal periods where you're not you're not subject to the same sort of inflation and competition as other digital channels. Your service is at a fixed cost is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, exactly. You're not paying more because it's Black Friday. You're not paying more because I want to target you know, luxury females, this age demographic that purchase luxury items. And, and that's like this coveted demographic. And there's more, comp more competition for that. No, it's just a fixed price. 
no matter what audience we're targeting or what time of year we're sending it. I think that's an excellent point. I'm curious also over the last year, maybe even longer, uh, again, I think years is kind of too small of a sample size. If graphic design aspects and, and selling techniques and kind of general, the, the aesthetics of the postcard and how you design them, if that's changed in the last year, and if not, have you seen them change throughout your time with Postpilot? Yeah, good question. I think we're always learning. We, we've we sent thousands and thousands and thousands of campaigns, and we have an uh, in-house creative team that does the designs for our brands 95% of the time. You know, We want to make it really easy, and so that's a service that we offer that's, that's part, complimentary and part of our, our service because it just takes it off their plate. And because we've seen so many of these and we know what works, we want to make sure we're setting our brands up for success. So I think the principles haven't changed that much since last time, you know, last year, and that we kind of had a good idea of what works, but we're always sort of testing, refining, and gathering aggregate data across the millions of cards that we're sending every month to understand what are little tweaks, what are best practices that make it that much more effective. And we'll test multiple variations of creative for brands anyway, just like split testing creative on, say, Facebook ad campaigns or email campaigns. We want to understand what works best. And so we continuously are looking to optimize that. I think in general, the fundamentals are fairly you know, consistent in that you want something that's clear, consistent, well-branded, recognizable with your brand. We, we say it's a best practice to put a QR code on the card to make it easy to just scan and get back to your website or even back to your cart. Uh, we, we have dynamic personalization. So it individually personalizes each card. Like it calls somebody out by name. It's like, hey, Alex, time for a refill. Come back today. And we'll take 10% off your cart. Like those kinds of things are, are sort of the, our fundamental best practices that I think have stayed relatively consistent. But to your question, we're always always optimizing and testing. I imagine as much. So as I mentioned at the top of the episode, we debutify spoke with you last year, and, and you mentioned some of the things that you were working on for the future. So I want to do a little report card or, or breakdown to see how you did on, on some of these goals and ideas that you spoke about um, with Connor. So the first goal you mentioned was moving up the funnel that you mentioned earlier a a little bit more than sending out cold cards to customers or or potential customers. So have you been able to target more valuable customers that way? Yes. So I think last year, we were really only targeting existing customers in your Shopify database, which is still super effective. And still where we recommend brands start. Again, that's the lowest hanging fruit and you're going to get the best performance out of those folks. But we've definitely moved up the funnel. So I mentioned our mail match technology, which is taking those email subscribers, finding a postal address, and then retargeting them with a postcard. Our site match, which is taking anonymous website visitors, finding a postal address for them and retargeting them with a postcard. And then ultimately those cold audiences. So think lookalike prospects, or other sort of life events, we can find, you know, expectant mothers and people that have moved recently, things like that. But lookalike audiences are, are have become really popular for brands once they've reached a certain level of sort of scale to do more cold prospecting. That's great. Sounds like an A. You also mentioned in that episode that you acquired this technology to provide customers with actual handwritten cards to increase 
that personable feeling of your cards. How have you been able to implement that technology? Yeah, I like to be a harsh critic of myself, but I'd have to give I'd have to give us an A on that one. Nice. Uh, we, we fully integrated our handwritten card technology, and so we can. We have robotic tech that literally holds a pen to paper and writes with all the nuance of human handwriting. So each letter is variable, so it doesn't look the same every time it's written. The the lines are sort of wavy and the indentation is all variable. And it's it literally writes like pen to paper with in a handwritten envelope with a first class postage stamp on the envelope. And uh, it's a really effective way to create just a a really special touch point. We typically reserve that for VIP customers. So think, trigger it when someone's made their fifth purchase from you or trigger it when somebody's made their spent over $500 with you total. Like send a note from you know the founder or somebody at the company, like head of customer service. It's just like, we just want to acknowledge you and thank you for being such a loyal customer. It's not really designed to get a sort of a traditional ROI campaign. It's more reserved for these special moments that you want to create with your with your best customers. And it's really effective at that. And data studies show, again, people who receive this sort of handwritten correspondence from brands, even your best customers, have significantly higher LTV over time because it, it just creates a, a special sort of bond with with those customers. So it sounds like the implementation has gone successfully. What is the actual client use rate success looked like? Are, are, are your clients a lot more interested in using this sort of technology? Yeah, I think, I don't know the exact percentage off, offhand, but I know it's been widely adopted by our customers as like another touch point that again, is typically reserved for their best customers. So they start with sort of the win back campaigns and and abandoned carts and things like that they start moving up to some of the prospecting and acquisition type campaigns and then they tend to to layer on these special the handwritten cards or sometimes they'll even send it around special holidays so again mother's day if they're a, an audience that ca- if they're a brand that caters to that audience they might just send a handwritten card to some of their best their best female customers it's just like just want to wish you a happy Mother's Day or just want to wish you a happy New Year, things like that. Very cool. I'm curious what the competition looks like in, in, in your space. So in the past year, especially with the development of this new technology, moving up the funnel, has anyone else really grabbed onto this idea and started using it to, to your knowledge? I mean, what has the competition in, in your space looked like over the past year? Sure. I think there's definitely more attention being placed on our space right now. Direct mail as a channel in general has just been growing in, in popularity. I think what's sort of special and unique about us in particular, aside from our, our platform and technology, where there's a lot of capabilities that we have that that others just don't have. One, our really laser focus on e-com and direct-to-consumer brands uh, and or digitally native brands. We, we understand that customer extremely well. I've been that customer for tw- over 20 years running eight and nine-figure e-commerce brands. So as my co-founder and business partner, we built the product that we know that customer wants. And we are really focused on providing a salute that solution to that customer as opposed to just being broad and saying, we also service local restaurants and the hotel chain and Home Depot and these other companies where they don't really understand the needs and capabilities that are important to our specific customer, our, our ICPR persona. So that's one. 
We also have our done for you service. So it's really a fully managed concierge service because again, our team understands how to do this, what best practices are, and they understand the needs of that that customer. So everything from setup to strategy to design will do uh, for them, which is also a unique part of our service. Uh, and we run our own production facility. So we actually have our own commercial, like large commercial printing operation. That's got to cut costs. Yeah. I mean, it, I think the biggest reason that we did it is quality control. Other brands, you know, other printers are actually just sort of software or APIs that then farm out the printing to a bunch of random printers scattered around the country. And we've seen the quality of that. It's how we started when we first started to be totally transparent. And we just were totally not pleased with the quality and neither were we were too busy too often finding ourselves having to apologize to customers for the quality of of the cards. So that was really the driver in us taking it in house. And then in addition to that, it allows us to be more nimble, speedier, we turn things around like same day also allows us to be that much more competitive on cost. So we're, we're, we tend to be the lowest price relative to anybody that's doing anything similar while still providing better quality and a better and a, and a better capabilities. I love it. I think it's great. How do you prevent All right, this is this is my, something that just literally popped into my head last night. How do you prevent from being too personable in your cards? I mean, with such wide access to personal information that you've you've kind of explained a little bit, what's kind of the ethical boundary for what should and shouldn't be included in in these postcards? Yeah, typically we're not a good starting point is to just personalize sort of based on name, like greet somebody by name. And I think Dale Carnegie said like the what was it like sweetest sounding word to everyone is their, their own name. name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that just that sort of personalization alone is a good starting point. And then it's really the other types of personalization are more sort of the attributes or behavioral characteristics about who might receive the card. For brands, for customers who have already done business with your brand, like that's a no-brainer. Like this is I just got a direct mail piece from a company that I've already done business with. I know how that you know, I'm familiar with them. Great. I just needed that nudge or a reminder to to go back and check out what's new or to repurchase from them. For colder audiences, it's still we we hear from a lot of brands like there's certain you know people who are used to sort of cookie tracking and retargeting online and doing things like that. They tend a lot of brands and customers say they tend to find that actually a little sort of creepier when they're you know when they're retargeted online and it feels like they just went to a website and you know then all of a sudden they're seeing ads for for that brand everywhere. A lot of brands just tend to tell us like they're actually more comfortable sending something through the mail because it just doesn't feel like as as creepy, like they're following them around. And so I think ethically, like there's not a, or, or legally, there's not a restriction on sending something to a cold prospect through the mail, like there is with email, where you can't, you know, can't, you have canned spam, you can't just spam people who didn't opt into your list. So legally, you're, you're totally in the clear and sort of best practice or ethically, like, I think you just want to send something that feels relevant to to somebody. And I don't think that, you know, as long as you're not putting any sort of personal information on the card that they would really question how you got access to that. Uh, I think most people would be comfortable with that. Cool. I like that. What are actually, I'm interested in what you think about the proliferation of AI technology and how that might create a boom 
in this personable postcard advertising industry that you're a part of. Do you think that that's, that's a, a tech that'll be used in this space and, and thus might create more competition for you? What I see is some of the opportunities with AI is just continuing to get that much better in identifying like those lookalike audiences, for example. We already use machine learning algorithms and sort of AI's adjacent technology to help identify and tease these these prospects out from the universe of hundreds of millions of US consumers and households. So I think it's only going to help that get more effective. And it's also going to help us get even that much more precise with some of our triggers and automation. So we have a lot of data around typical latency between purchases, for example. So somebody who makes their second purchase, the 90% of the time will make their third purchase within 63 days. Like We have that data today and we use that to help inform some of our triggers. But again, I think using AI, it's going to allow us to be that much more personalized and and precise in uh, how we set those those different triggers. So really actually excited about integrating a lot of that into what we do today and, and more of it into what we do today. Uh, in terms of creating more competition, you know, I think we like our offering. We like where we're at in terms of our product and our capability. We have a lot on our roadmap for this year that's going to keep raising the bar and keep uh, increasing the the gap between what we're doing and what we see other folks doing. And then I think our integrations and and our in-house production are continue to be be moats. Like my my co-founder and I kind of joke to each other sometimes like you wouldn't typically think a software company wants to operate a print house, but in a lot of ways it's it's a great advantage to us because, you know, some guy in his garage writing software isn't necessarily going to you know open up a whole commercial printing operation to be able to to operate so and it's a little brick and mortar too I, I can definitely dig that i think i was thinking earlier there's something kind of romantic about the idea of of getting a postcard i mean it reminds me of vinyl almost where vinyl kind of like died and then digital and, and cd and streaming and tapes and and all that kind of came in and now people's kind of went back to vinyl. I think most things work in cycles. So it doesn't really surprise me the success of your your idea and your brand because I think people really like the, you know, the romanticism of something that's handwritten and tangible like that. So I think that's really cool. Also in terms of AI, I may have mentioned it on this on a previous episode, but I heard someone say it's not necessarily professionals versus AI, it's professionals who work with AI versus professionals who don't. It is kind of what the future is looking closer to. I, I think it's fascinating. I I'd probably asked too many uh, guest questions about AI because I'm extremely interested in it. What are some of the things I haven't mentioned that you've been able to improve upon in the last year? I think those are some of the the biggest ones. We're obvious we're always improving the product in, in terms of releasing other types of features, like you know everything from the ability to include unique coupon codes on the card, so individually printed coupon codes so you're not having to put the same code on every card to you know access for multi, you know for for your agency partners and all these kinds of things i think the biggest ones are more in terms of our of our capabilities particularly on the acquisition side focusing again on those the middle funnel like those email leads or the website visitors the lookalike prospecting and then we we also just introduced cold acquisition for brands that are pushing into retail, like actual brick and mortar. So a lot of D2C brands today 
are looking to diversify also not only their marketing mix, but their actual distribution. So, you know, to your point earlier about things sort of going in cycles where everything moved from brick and mortar to online and then online was going to kill brick and mortar. Now you see all the digitally native brands, the D2C brands trying to push it back into retail to get new points of distribution. And so that's another service that we offer brands now, which is the ability to use that first party data, find lookalike audiences for them, but then geo-target those folks based on proximity to some of the retail stores that they're in. So we could say, for example, a men's grooming brand, but and you sell online, but you also have distribution in Target. So we're gonna find we're gonna use that first party data from your D2C customers. We're gonna build a lookalike audience. Then we're gonna go out and find more folks like that that live within a couple miles of a Target store and have shown to be in Target more than a few times a month. And we can drive those folks to to buy your your brand in store as well. So that's another thing that is a, a recent development that we're we've been starting to do a lot more of. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to checking back in a year and seeing how that some of those things are working out. Yeah, new report card. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I wanted I wanted to know how you got started on, on this project. How, how did you get started on Postpilot? Sure. So I, I mentioned earlier, I've been in direct-to-consumer and e-com for over 20 years. I started a website back in 2000, an online retail website, sold it in tw- 2013 to private equity, met my co-founder and current business partner at that time. We were private equity operating partners for a number of funds running their portfolio companies, typically turnarounds of eight and nine figure brands. And we just used direct mail successfully in a lot of the companies that we were running throughout our careers. But it was always this clunky, sort of stereotypical process of spreadsheets going back and forth and finding a print house and trying to to do manual calculation of ROI and all this stuff. We just said, somebody needs to build Clavio for direct mail. And so we had this thesis and we said direct mail is sort of ripe for, for reinvention and ripe for a comeback uh, as digital ads were just getting more and more sort of saturated and expensive. And so that was sort of the genesis of Postpilot. And it's been just a, a pretty wild ride over the last few years. That's amazing. Before we wrap up, the last question I always ask guests is essentially about how in the e-commerce industry, you know, entrepreneurs are, are generally operating on the clock all the time. It, it can be difficult to find work-life harmony. Call it work-life balance until someone corrected me and said, I like work-life work-life harmony better. So I've now adopted that phrase. What are some things that you do in your free time, Michael, to promote stable mental health and healthy work-life harmony? Uh, that's a good question. And and to be honest, I don't know if I'm the, the most qualified to give that advice because I find I struggle with that personally sometimes. I mean, one thing I do is I'm pretty disciplined and rigorous around my calendar and scheduling my time in advance and blocking out what I want, what I should be doing at any sort of given time in advance. It, it helps me from sort of prevents me from going down a bunch of rabbit holes or spending my time on a bunch of things that I think aren't necessarily the best use of my time. Also allows me to, to cut things off a little bit better. I like to take a break when I can and, and go for a walk or, or like clear my head. I think that's valuable. And I think just in general, 
I spend, I try and spend all my free time with my family and, and kids. Like I, I don't, I probably don't get a, as much time with them as I want even. And, and so anytime I can get step away from things and uh, I'm, I'm going to be spending time with them and that, you know, that's what all this is ultimately for. So, I mean, I think that's how I try and think about things in my mind. I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm always the best at adhering to, to the most optimal work-life balance, but it's, it's also just really fun what we've been doing. Uh, my, my co-founder and I say to each other also, like, most fun we've ever had in our professional career. It's just been a wild ride. And so I also enjoy it and it doesn't feel like I'm, I'm working some of the time or like I'm dreading doing it. Yeah, I love what you do. And you know, in terms of work-life harmony, progress, not perfection. I'm a, I'm a chronic procrastinator is, is my thing. So that's something that I have to work on. And look, Michael, it's, it's been an absolute blast. I'm already looking forward to our next conversation, hopefully even before a year from now. That'd be awesome. Thanks so much, Alex. Great catching up. Yeah, it's great to talk with you and good luck to you. Till next time. Thanks. I'd like to thank my guest, Michael Epstein, for joining me on the show and come back on Thursday when I talk with Prakar Vats, a founding member of LimeChat, which leverages conversations in WhatsApp to double your e-commerce sales. For more information about Michael, you can connect with him on LinkedIn or follow him on Twitter at mepstein311. To learn more about Postpilot, check out their website, postpilot.com, or follow them on Twitter at GetPostPilot. That's our show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until next time. 